Well, a few weeks ago now, we started uh, the series, God Questions, and so we're continuing that. And this, these series, or these sermons have gone in a certain order for a reason, just kind of a, a reminder to you, if you've missed one or two of them, I really encourage you to kind of go back and especially listen to them in order because they ask these questions in this order because they kind of build on each other. And the first question was, was does God matter? And in case you're wondering, we, we said, yes, he does matter. And, uh, and, and, and then the next question, that leads to other questions. If there is a God, if he, if he does matter, then there's all kinds of other questions that come from that. One of them would be, has he spoken to us? And that was week number two. Has God spoken to us? And so we, we examined that question and our conclusion was, yes, God has spoken to us. Not only has God spoken to us, but as the author of Hebrews says, he's spoken to us at many times and in various ways. And more recently, he's spoken to us specifically through his son, through Jesus. And so if God has spoken to us, and he's not only spoken to us, he's spoken to us through Jesus, which we, we, the conclusion we came to is, is that the, the, the gospels, the scriptures, are a witness to who Jesus is and to his life and to his uh, to his deeds and, and all those kinds of things. And so, so that becomes the source by which we understand what God has said through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the word in flesh. And if he is the word in flesh, then another question comes, and that is this, is Jesus God? Because if Jesus was God, that makes all the difference in the world. If he was not, then we're probably wasting our time here on Sunday morning. And so that's the question we're asking today, is Jesus God. And so each sermon builds on the previous, so I encourage you to go back and kind of listen through them because there is a, a method and a, to the madness, so to speak. And, um, and so we're asking the question, is Jesus God today? Last week, uh, we not only say God has spoken, but he has spoken primarily through Jesus Christ. And Blaise Pascal, the uh, philosopher uh, and Christian, uh, once said this in his, in his pensies. He said, not only do we only know God through Jesus Christ, but we only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. We only know life and death through Jesus Christ. And I think Pascal was right. Jesus, we know God through Jesus because he was the divine, eternal son of God, and we're gonna address that today. But we know ourselves because he was the perfect expression of humanity. He was the perfect person. And so in that, as we reflect upon him, and we look at ourselves, we know ourselves in that sense too. So they were asking, is Jesus God? And by the way, it's not, was Jesus God? It's not in the past tense, it's in the present. Because if he was God, he still is God, amen? So, so we're asking from that perspective. Um, Islam believes a lot of things about Jesus. As a matter of fact, Islam believes Jesus was a prophet. They believe he was born of a virgin, that he is coming again. But they do not believe that he is God or that he died on the cross or that he rose from the grave, which is, we're going to talk about that next year. Did Jesus rise from the grave? Again, if, that, if he did, then that changes everything. And, and I just bring that up because there are, there are other competing ideas uh, out there about who Jesus is. And so we're going to try to evaluate that this morning. Um, the reason that his divinity is so important isn't just because it's a nice thought, that, hey, God came and spent time among us. That's, that's not why it's so important. His divinity is important because if Jesus 
went to the cross and he died on the cross and he, and he went to the grave, then he just did that like thousands upon thousands of other people in the first century that the Romans did that to. But if he was the, the divine eternal son of God and he went to the cross and he lived a perfect life, if that's true, then his death has atoning power. It has the power to redeem us because he was the perfect man and he was fully God and he was fully human. And because of those things, that combination of things, then his death can mean something. If he was not the divine eternal son of God, then he just died like a whole bunch of other people and I'm not sure why we're worshiping him, okay? And so this is a really important question and it's foundational to our Christian, to our Christian faith. And so uh, here's what we're gonna do today. Today's gonna be a little bit different. This is not gonna be a traditional sermon as many as, as you might be used to. Um, if you want to take notes, I encourage that. I actually forgot to mention this in the first service, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take kind of the outline of what I'm, what I'm giving you guys today, and I'm going to make it available on Facebook. I'm just going to put it on Facebook in a post this week. And so, so if you just, if you want to just listen and then like look at that later, you can. Um, it's also going to be different because, because what I did was that as I was thinking, getting ready for this, and I thought about going all kinds of different directions, and I thought, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I did, um, I did a debate, I think it was seven or eight years ago uh, now, and, and, I, and I did a debate with a Muslim imam. And, and the question was, who is Jesus? And of course, they don't have any problem saying that he was human, and so that wasn't going to be the focus, the thing I was going to focus on. I was going to focus on his divinity. And so what I did, what I decided to do for this is I decided to go back, grab my notes from that, and I scaled them down, and I edited them, and I went, I'm going to give you guys kind of that. This morning, because I think it's important for us to be able to not only for our own confidence to know, hey, when I worship, I worship Jesus. I'm worshiping the divine, eternal Son of God. And you guys keep hearing me say that, by the way, in many sermons, the divine, eternal Son of God. And I say that specifically because it communicates very specific things. It's not just like a uh, idiosyncrasy I have or something like. He just always says that the exact same. I say it that way because it describes who Jesus is in a very specific way. And so, and so I went back and I took my notes. And so I'm going to kind of go give that uh, a piece of those notes anyways to you this morning, not all of them. But if he was God incarnate, if he was God in the flesh, then his death has atoning power, a righteous sacrifice for the unrighteous. And so when we ask this question, is Jesus God? We are asking a question that is foundational to the Christian faith. So here we go. So we're going we're gonna to break this down into three categories. And those three categories are these. Jesus' statements about himself, that's going to be category number one. And But for the source for that is going to be the New Testament because that is the closest witness we have to Jesus. We talked about that a little bit last week, that, that what we have in the New Testament and the Bible is a witness to who Jesus is and what he did. And so, so that's going to be our source. And historically, it is the best source. Whether you think it's inspired or not, I think... I believe it's inspired. Our church believes it's inspired by the, it's inspired word of God. But even if you were just a historian, that's still where you would turn uh, to find out who Jesus is, what he said, and what he did. So we're going to look at Jesus' statements about himself. We're going to look at the attributes of God found in Jesus. And then the third category we're going to look at this morning is early church Christology. That's just a fancy word for saying what the early church believed about Jesus. So here we go. Category number one, Jesus' statements about himself. What did Jesus say about himself? Here's why that's important, by the way. This is a question of identity, right? If you want to know a person, 
Like say you decide that you want to date a person at some point when you're single and should be dating. So if you're married, the only person you should date is your husband or wife, just so we're clear. But like if you were single, you can go back to the days when you were single and you can think back in, in, to those days, whether, you know, whatever period that was in your life and you can look and you go, if I want to get to know that person, what might I do? I might take him to a movie. No, no, that's a bad idea, right? Because nobody talks to each other at a movie, right? You take him out to coffee. You, you, you take him to a restaurant. You do an activity where you can converse with them, where you can talk to them and, and you can ask questions and you can listen, right? And so you get to know the person by hearing what they say about their life and about themselves. That's how you get to know him. So that's what we're going to do with Jesus. We're not dating him, but we are going to ask the question, what did he say about himself? It's foundational. Now, here's the thing. I know and I recognize, some of you might be thinking, lots of people say a lot of things about themselves that aren't true, right? And I, so you might be thinking, well, this doesn't really answer the question. You're 100% right. It does not totally answer the question. It answers a piece of the question. What did, who did he think he was? Because if he just thought he was just another person like everybody else, that would be a pretty big mistake to make. And when you end up, if you're God and you don't know you're God, like that's a problem, right? Like, you know, it's one thing to not know that you have certain facial tics or, 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 or responses to certain situations, you know. And as a matter of fact, in people that play poker, and I know that none of you would ever play poker or anything like that. But, you know, if you played poker and you were sitting at a table, you would read people's face. Why? Because they might have reactions to what's in their hand. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to, and then they have these facial tics, if you will. They have, it's one thing to not know that you have what's called a tell. It's another thing to be the eternal divine son of God and go, whoops, I kind of didn't know that. Like, that's a pretty big mistake. So if Jesus did not claim to be God, if he didn't say he was God, then that would kind of answer the question. We'd just go, okay, he's not God, let's not worship him. But if he did, if he did think he was God, then that at least answers one piece of that question. And I also realize that there are other people who thought, think that they're God. As a matter of fact, um, you can find stories at him. Just go to YouTube. There's one guy in, in, uh, in the UK. He, he travels around, tells people that he's uh, the Messiah who's come again. He doesn't have very many followers. He's all kinds of crazy and people know that. And so they kind of ignore him. But some of these people, and I suppose they're all kind of crazy, but some of these people have a lot of followers. There's a guy uh, in Zambia who, who, who goes around. As a matter of fact, he's got a little cart that his followers push him around on. It's on wheels and they, you know, carry him around like he's a king and that kind of thing. And he's, he even has his hair kind of like he thinks Jesus had his hair or whatever. And, and, and there's a certain appearance that he tries to have. And he uh, claims to be the, the, the Messiah, claims to be Jesus, the eternal divine son of God returned. And, and he has many followers. There's a guy in South Africa, same kind of thing. He travels around claiming to be Jesus, and there are others as well. And so I also recognize that Jesus is not the only one who ever said, I am God, follow me. Most of the time we do something with those people. We get them therapy is what we do, right? But Jesus didn't need therapy, I'm going to argue, because he was the eternal divine son of God. And, that, and he did also think he was God. And I think there's some good reasons to think that Jesus was right in what he thought about himself. So here we go. So I'm going to kind of fly through this. I'm going to go a little fast. I'm going to try not to go too fast, but a little bit fast because there's a lot of material to cover. We're going to be all over scripture because we're addressing this question, which a lot of scripture speaks to, and we're not doing it comprehensively. We're just kind of touching the surface. John chapter 8, verses 54 through 59 says this. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. 
My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, ouch, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. Jesus doesn't mix words very much. He kind of says it like it is. He goes on, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And then these uh, Pharisees respond and they say, you are not yet 50 years old. They said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Okay, this is sarcasm. You You need a little sarcasm in your life because it helps you understand scripture. This was cutting. You're not even 50, Jesus, and you've seen Abraham. Abraham lived like 1,500 years ago. Like this is, this, you can't possibly know Abraham. This is cutting. This is sarcasm. And here's Jesus' response in verse 58. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple guards. This is really, really important to understand well. And here's what happens, right? So they're having this argument, and, and John chapter 8 is, is over and over again talks. We're going to talk about some other verses in John chapter 8. And, and, and they're talking about these things. And, and Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Now here's the thing. When, it, when he says, I am, he says it in a very specific way, right? And in Greek, we've got to break down the Greek a little bit. In Greek, there's a word for I. That word is ego, right? And then there's of a being verb, right? And, and our English ones are am, is, are, was, were, be, being, been. I got them all. I couldn't get them last service. So it's, like, it's like, I know the Greek ones, but I can't come up with the English ones. That's weird, right? But so, so that's, that, that's amy, that, the word amy. In the Greek, when you say the verb, depending on the ending you put on it, it tells you something about the subject, right, of the verb. In other words, in other words you don't need a pronoun, all you have to do is say, a me. And that would also be translated, I am. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, ego, a me. In other words, I, I am. In other words, he's emphasizing the I part of that. He's saying, I am. And it's in the what tense? Present tense, right? It's, 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 it's I am. And, and in the Greek, this, this present has kind of this, this ongoing perspective to it, right? And so, and so when Jesus answers, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And if you go back to Exodus chapter three, where, where Moses is having this encounter with God and, and God saying, hey, you need to go to Egypt. You need to get my people out of slavery. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And, and Moses say, who should I say sent me? And, and God says to him, if you look in the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but it's translated into Greek. That's called the Septuagint. If you see, ever see a L X. X, that's Septuagint. And so that, if if you look at Exodus chapter three, it says it the exact same way, ego, amy. In other words, what Jesus was saying was, you know, the God that spoke to Moses, that's me, I'm that God. And if you have any doubts about it, then you look at what they do in response to this phrase. What do they do? They pick up stones to stone him. They're gonna kill him. Why? Because it is the ultimate blasphemy to say that you are God. What Jesus said 
was blasphemy if it wasn't said by the eternal divine son of God. Now, here's the thing. They pick up stones to stone him, and, and this, is, this speaks volumes to what they thought. They were hearing Jesus claim to be the divine, eternal son of God. That's what they heard, and they responded as if somebody in the, in the first century, a Jew, would respond. They pick up stones to stone him, and now all Jesus had to do is go, whoa, wait a minute. That was a slip of the tongue. I, I didn't really mean that. Don't throw stones at me. Is that what happened? It would have been really easy for Jesus to go, you're confusing my message. I'm, I'm not claiming that. Here's what I'm really saying. He could have clarified the message and they would, you know, maybe, oh, okay, we're sorry, Jesus. We thought, we thought you were claiming to be the divine, divine eternal son of God. They put down their stones. But no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't correct their understanding because they understood it right. They understood that Jesus was claiming to be the divine, eternal Son of God. Now, in this same discourse, if you go up a, a handful of verses to Ch John chapter 8, verse 24, it says this, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am He. You will indeed die in your sins. Now, he didn't say I was, but he said I am. There's that present tense again, right? The connection here seems obvious and intentional. Now, if you go to Isaiah, and this is why, where it becomes obvious and intentional. If you are a Jew in the first century, and Jesus is saying this thing, these things, your mind is going back to Isaiah, to, specifically to a few verses, but Isaiah chapter 41, verse 4 would be one of them, where it says, Who has done this and carried, carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord is Yahweh there, the, with the first of them and with the last, and then it says, I am he. Exact same words. Exact same words. And if you go to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 13. Yes, and from ancient days, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hands when I act. Who can reverse it? In other words, when Jesus was saying this in John chapter 8, he didn't just say it once. Multiple times he makes this kind of I am reference. And multiple times, and it refers back to Isaiah, and it refers back to Exodus, and they all know it, and there's a long discourse. So by the time that he says before Abraham was, I am, and they're picking up stones, he had had plenty of time to clarify and say, whoops, that's not what I meant. But instead, he kept driving home the point over and over. I am he, I am he, I am he. Before Abraham was, I am. And they pick up stones to stone him. If he was not claiming to be the divine, eternal son of God, then why the violent reaction? There's really no other explanation that makes any sense. If you go to Mark chapter 14, we're going to go 61, the second half of verse 61 through verse 65. It says this. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. Wait, let's read that again. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? What did Jesus say? I am, said Jesus. Now, here's the thing. People will come and they say, nowhere in the Bible does it say that he was God. Okay, the question was not asked in that way because that's not how they would ask it in the first century. They would ask it just like this. Right here. This is how they would ask the question. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? That's how they would ask the question. This is a, a synonymous way of saying, are you the divine eternal son of God? And Jesus answers and says, I am. But let's go on. And you will see the son of man 
sitting at the right hand of the mighty one. Whoa! That's a big deal. Nobody sits at the, no, no, no human sits at the right hand of the mighty one. And coming on the clouds of heaven, that's so cool. Can you ride clouds? Because I can't. The high priest tore his clothes, it says in verse 63. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. In other words, they were going to kill him. He was headed to the cross. He had an opportunity when they said, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? He said, no, it's a big misunderstanding. Don't kill me. What did he say? I paying a huge price if he doesn't think he is the divine eternal son of god this is a big big price he is headed to the cross they beat him they blindfold him they all all of these things this this is an amazing text if you go to matthew chapter 14 it uses a that son of man title which is a divine title it's not a human title a lot of people think oh see it's son of man that's a human title no it's a divine title and i'll explain to you why Number one, the Son of Man in Matthew chapter 13, if you go there to verse 41, he has his own angels. Any of you guys have your own angels? Okay, yeah, me neither. But he has angels, right? Matthew chapter 13, verse 41. Son of Man has his own glory. I don't have my own glory, and you don't have your own glory. The best we can do is reflect the glory of God because of the image of God with which we were created. The Son of Man sits on his own glorious throne. Whatever dreams you may have had as a child, whenever, however many times you went to Burger King and got the crown and put it on your head, that does not count. You do not have your own glorious throne. You may be the king of your house, but that's about as far as it goes. And you probably just think you're the king of your house. Just saying. So this is a reference, by the way, back to Daniel chapter 7. Starting in verse 13, where it says this, In my vision, this is Daniel talking, right? He had this vision, he's describing it. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Now he describes this son of man. Oh, coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days. In other words, his eternality, the ancient of days, was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Now you may have a little bit of power, but you don't have sovereign power power all nations and peoples of every language what worshiped him his dominion is an everlasting that's that eternal everlasting eternal right dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed so here we have the son of man this title given to him is given dominion will not pass away each time, each time this word uh, for service used in this text, in the word that's used in this text, in other texts, it always denotes service to God. This word is used here, is used of Jesus in, in the passage that we read a minute ago. The Son of Man sat at the right hand of power of God, yet a man could not even approach God, much, much less sit with him. If you remember uh, the vision that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6, right? Isaiah is in the presence of God, and, and, and he sees God, and he's afraid, and he says what? He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He's fearful he's going to die because he's in the presence of God. 
then an angel brings a coal from the altar over, touches his lips, and it's kind of like this, this sign that, hey, it's okay, you've been, you've been taken care of as far as the, your, your sin to be in the presence of God, you're not going to die taking care of that, right? As a matter of fact, the angels that were flying around, they all had six wings, with two wings they covered their feet, with two wings they flew, and with two wings they covered their eyes. Why? Because they were in the presence of God. And they needed to cover their eyes because of his glory. And so here we have, here we have the Son of Man, and he has his own glory like that of God. The Son of Man sits at the right hand of power of God, yet a man could never approach God. According to Daryl Bach, this is tantamount to claiming to be God. Daryl Bach is a very well-known New Testament scholar. Now, it's important to consider the reaction to what Jesus said whenever you look at these passages, right? We looked at the John chapter 8 one, and the, and the reaction was what? Picking up stones to kill him because he claimed to, be, claimed to be God. What was the reaction in this one? They tore his robe because he claimed to be God. They were about to kill him anyways. He was on his way to the cross. But he tore his robe because he was in the presence of somebody who claimed the eternal, to be the eternal divine son of God, and that was blasphemy. The ta- that's not me Making that up, the text says that he committed blasphemy if he was not the eternal divine son of God. But if he is, then it's not blasphemy. Then it's simply him telling the truth. Jesus thought he was God. And there were many other things that we could look at in the gospels that communicate that. But Jesus not only thought he was God, because that certainly would not be enough. That would be not be enough. There's other people who thought they were God. So that is not enough to come to the conclusion that he is God. But he also had the attributes of God. We find them in Jesus. Attributes of God found in Jesus. So here we're going to go through these. We're only going to camp out just a tiny bit on one. I'm going to give some scripture references for these different attributes, right? And then if you want to look them up, when I put that outline up on Facebook, you can look them up and read for yourself. But here's, here's what we find. Jesus forgave sins. Now that might not sound like a big deal to you, me and you. We might look at that and go, well, I've forgiven people's sins. No, you've forgiven people's offenses against you. You don't get to forgive people's offenses against God. That's what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 9 and other places, where when he forgave sins, it wasn't that they had sinned against him, and they're going, oh, it's all right. We do that all the time. That's not what's being talked about there. Jesus is literally forgiving people's offenses against God. Who gets to do that? God gets to do that. That's it. And so he, he goes and he forgives sins. That's presumptuous, if I've ever heard presumptuous, unless you're the eternal divine son of God. He's the giver of life, John chapter 5, verse 21. Only God gives life. He answers prayers, John 14, 14. Now, I, I, this, is, this is a big deal, right? I don't know who you pray to, but I pray to God because I believe God can answer prayers. I don't pray to you because guess what? You cannot answer my prayers. Amen? Okay, I just want to check. Maybe I thought, maybe some of you thought you could. I can't answer your prayers. You don't pray to me. I mean, you can pray to me if you want to. I don't recommend it. That would be bad, right? Don't do that. But if you did, guess what I could do? Man, probably nothing. I mean, there might be certain things. Like if I, number one, I probably wouldn't hear the prayer unless you were standing in front of me, right? Like I, I don't, I can't hear. I can't, I don't have God's power. I can't answer prayer. You can pray to other things, but, but only God answers prayers. And yet in, in John chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus does what only God can do. He answers prayer. 
performing miracles in his own name. Now, this one I want to camp on just for a second. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus heals a blind man after asking, do you believe I am able to do this? Now, I don't know about you, but like, you know, I had some people on Friday night. I was at a a thing on Friday night, and I had some people pray for me. Some of you know I've got like a herniated disc in my neck, and I've been, you know, kind of working through it. It's going well, it's going well, and all those kinds of things. But I had some people pray pray for me and pray that God would heal me. Now, here's the thing. Why would we pray that God would heal me? Because God can heal me, right? He can answer that prayer. Nobody else can answer that prayer. And, and we wouldn't, and if I was to say, and say hey, can I pray, to, pray for your healing in something? We're praying for your healing. Maybe we lay hands on you and we pray for your healing. We don't do it, I don't go in the name of John or in the name of, uh, of somebody else. I don't, I don't do that. Who do I pray in the name of? Jesus. Who do I pray to? God. Why? Because he has the power to do that. Jesus here says, do you believe that, not do you believe that God can do this, but do you believe that I, not, not me, John, but Jesus, right, can do it? Jesus' words were, do you believe that I am able to do this? He heals with his own power. Luke chapter 17, verses 14 and 15, Jesus Jesus says, I say to you, get up. And this is the widow's son, right? The widow's son is dead. As a matter of fact, he's literally being carried in his coffin. Like he's dead, dead. And Jesus says, he doesn't go, God, raise him from the dead. God, I pray that you'll raise him from the dead. He says, I, again, I, I keep pointing to myself because words are, I is a first person personal pronoun, right? But it's not I, it's Jesus saying it, right? I say to you, Get up. And what does the widow's son do? The widow's son gets up. Literally from his coffin. He gets up. Now here's the thing. It would be one thing for somebody to say, I am the eternal divine son of God. I am the Messiah. I've come back and, 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 and you need to follow me. It's one thing for somebody to say it. It's another thing for somebody to forgive sins. And, but again, you could say, well, people can say they forgive sins, but that doesn't mean they are actually able to forgive sins. That's fine. People can say they give life, that's fine. People can, but Jesus backed it up with miracles. Jesus rose people from the dead. Not just the widow's son, but how about Lazarus too, right? Jesus healed blind people. Jesus made the lame walk again. Jesus did these things. Jesus walked on water. Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus over and over, he fed 5,000. He fed 4,000 with some fish and, and, and bread and, and just a few. And he, he did miracle after miracle after miracle. As a matter of fact, the author of John, which is John is one of the closest to him, right? The, he's one of the three, not just one of the 12, but one of the three that were closest to Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, it says in in scriptures, that's how he's described. John says that if they were to put everything that Jesus did in writing, there wouldn't be room, and they wouldn't have room to write it all down near the end of his gospel. Now, I don't don't know if any of you have ever tried to walk on water. Anybody tried to walk on water? Just be honest. No, it's, it's okay. Like, I've tried. No, come on. Even when you're a kid, you never, you, like, right, come on. Raise your hand if you, okay. Like, I, I'm just like, I wasn't the only kid. Like, I read the story, and I'm like, that's so cool. I'm going to walk on water. And I don't know if you did what I did. Here's what I did. I, I'm like, if I run really fast, maybe I can stand. Anybody ever do that? Come on. Okay, good. Whew. All right. At least there's one other crazy person in the room. All right. Like, like I, I literally did. I did this. I tried to walk on water. Now, here's the thing. I was in Israel this past summer. went to the Dead Sea. 
And I went to the Dead Sea, and if you know anything about the Dead Sea, it's like salty and minerally, and you can't even imagine, right? As a matter of fact, here's the one thing that nobody told me about the Dead Sea, that when I went there, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Even as I was walking up to the shore, all of a sudden the ground got really hard, and it was like I was walking on like a bunch of really sharp rocks because what happens is all the, all the salt and minerals, they like crystallize on the bottom and they get really, really sharp and nobody told me, dude, wear shoes, right? Like I didn't know. And so I'm walking on my bare feet, you know, ah, you know, like that into the water, right? And so you, you, you see pictures, you've probably seen pictures and people kind of sit and they float and you're like, oh, that's so cool and all this stuff. And they, but the pictures don't do it justice. Now here's, it's kind of morbid, but I'm just gonna tell you that this is kind of how it is just to give you an idea right, of how this, how floaty it is. So here's what happens. Every, every so often, somebody goes out in the Dead Sea because they want to float around and things like that, and this happens especially to people who have a larger mass in the center of their body, okay, and so that it lifts them a little bit higher because they float, and if they go over to their belly, it lifts the center very high, and what happens to the face? I'm waiting. It goes down into the water, right? Like, like it goes down in the water. Now, this is kind of morbid, but every once in a while, somebody dies, they drown in the Red Sea because they get on their belly and they can't get back over. It's a true story. As a matter of fact, something that happened like a couple weeks before we got there. And so I'm just giving you an idea. It's really, really floaty. Like you can't, you can't, it was crazy. I tried, I tried all kinds of things and I decided if I can walk on water anywhere, it's right here. Yes, I know. I was 45 at the time. I think I'd get past this fantasy, but I have, you know, whatever. Peter walked on water too. He wasn't God, but I'm just saying. So I'm going to try to walk. I, I tried to go pencil, like, you know, up to your feet because you floated. I, I really, you know, I tried to, I tried to like, like, I tried to sink and I couldn't sink. I tried to walk on water and I couldn't walk on water. It was kind of somewhere in between. It was like, it was like here and I couldn't even, you know, it was so floaty, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't, like, I, you're like this trying to Balance yourself in the water. It's crazy. Even then, even at the Dead Sea with all the minerals and salt, guess what? I couldn't walk on water. Jesus, by the way, he didn't do it there. He did it in the Sea of Galilee, which is north. And it's the Sea of Galilee, and I'm from Minnesota, and the Sea of Galilee isn't really a sea. It's like a, it's like a lake. It's not even that big of a lake. But everybody's like, oh, it's Sea of, you know, you read it. The Sea of Galilee, it's got to be huge. It's a good, good sized lake, but it ain't no Lake Mille Lacs. I'm just saying. So, you know, so I stood at the store. That's fresh water, no salt, no minerals. That's where Jesus walked on water. He walked on water. He told the storm to go away, and it obeyed him. Jesus didn't just claim to be God. He backed it up with miraculous things that only God can do. And he didn't do it in God's name. He did it in his own name. Last one I want to talk about is this. He accepted worship. Jesus accepted worship. John chapter 9, verse 38. After healing a blind man, the blind man worships Jesus. Matthew 14 and Matthew 28. Matthew 14, 33, after Jesus walks on water, the disciples what? Worship him. Matthew 28. And by the way, they knew they were only supposed to worship God. They knew exactly what they were doing. Matthew 28. Um, uh, they worship, the disciples again worship him after his resurrection in verse 9. Luke chapter 19, the triumphal entry, which we'll celebrate around Easter. We call it Palm Sunday. I tell you, it says, if these were silent, these being the people, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. They worshiped Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verse 10 says, Jesus says this, that you are to worship God alone. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10 says, you only worship God. And then he has all these other times where he accepts worship from people. 
Acts chapter 10 and chapter 14. This is after Jesus' death, after his resurrection, after the launch, launch of the church. The disciples were doing miraculous things in the name of Jesus, by the way. And then the people started to worship the disciples, and the disciples said, no, don't worship me, because they knew that that was not good. They were, people were only supposed to worship God. As a matter of fact, you go back to Deuteronomy 6, you go back to the Ten Commandments, right? You were, there's one God, and we're to worship him alone, right? You should not have no other gods before me. This says in the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy chapter 6, it, it, the Shema, the Lord our God is one. And they, they begin to talk about ways of worshiping him. So that's two categories. What Jesus thought he was God, what Jesus said about himself. He had attributes of God. And the third category we're going to look at is early Christology. In other words, what did the people in the first century think about Jesus that followed him especially? John chapter 1. Again, who is John? One of the three, right? Knew Jesus really super, super well. We talked about this verse last week. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. And then you jump down to chapter, or to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's, that's the incarnation. That's the theolo- theological fancy word for saying the divine eternal son of God took on human flesh. We have seen his glory, the glory of, of the one and only son. So he had his own glory again, who came from the father full of grace and truth. Colossians chapter one, an early church kind of hammer creed. For him, for in him, all things were created. And here it is. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The him is Jesus, by the way. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If he is before all things, he's the eternal divine son of God. Then you go to the next chapter, Colossians chapter 2. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily, bodily form. Can there be any more explicit statement than that? For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Philippians 2, starting in verse 6, talking about Jesus. As a matter of fact, verse 5 says, your attitude should be that of of Christ. And in verse 6, it says, who being in very nature God, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to to be used on his own advan- to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. The ESV says he, he emptied, or the NASB rather, he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In other words, he emptied himself, not of his divinity, but of his divine privilege. That's an important distinction. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, this is one of my favorites. We're going to talk about this more next week, but it says this in verse 3. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brethren and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all apostles, and last, last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. In other words, Paul says, look, he rose from the dead. That's our question next week. Did he really rise from the dead? He rose from the dead, and it's an early church creed. As a matter of fact, Marcus Board and many other scholars believe this hymn or this creed that we find in 1 Corinthians 15 is, is, is created within months of his resurrection. In other words, this isn't some 
some fantasy that somebody had later on. This isn't some myth or some legend that developed as time went on. This, this was created within months of Jesus' resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. Again, this kind of creedal statement. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. We say this a lot, or I say something very similar to this. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes again. Now, here's the thing. When Paul writes something, it's it, almost all the letters of Paul precede the Gospels. In other words, our earliest testimonies are actually found in what Paul wrote more often. That's, our, that's more often our earlier testimony than even what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote. John was one of the later writings, actually, um, but he was also one of the eyewitnesses. And so you, you have these creedal say, In other words, the early church believed he was the divine, eternal Son of God. So what conclusion should we arrive at? why does it matter? We go through all this, why does all this matter? Well, we talked about why it mattered some at the beginning, right? Because if Jesus wasn't God, then he was just another guy who died on a cross, just like thousands of others. But if he was the eternal divine son of God, if he really was, and if he really rose from the dead, next week's sermon, if we really rose from the dead, then that changes everything. Then his death means everything. Then his death is atoning. It means it can cover our sins. It can make us righteous. We receive the righteousness of Christ because when he was sacrificed, he became the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. It matters if he's not the divine eternal son of God, then he's just another guy and we are wasting our times. We could be at home watching a game right now. But if he is the eternal divine son, then we're right where we should be, worshiping Jesus. In other words, this is, should be our conclusion. God walked among us in the person of Jesus Christ, the exact imprint of God's glory. That's why we worship him. Will you worship Jesus, the divine, eternal son of God, the word in the flesh, the God who took on humanity and walked among us? Would you worship a God who didn't do that? Would you worship a God who wasn't the eternal divine son of God? Maybe you would. I might, I don't know. But will I worship the God who walked among us in the flesh? Yes, I will worship him. There is no other God, by the way, anyways. He's the only choice there is. People come up with other gods but this is the one true God, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you will worship him, what does that mean? Does that mean you come together on Sunday and sing songs and listen to some guy get up and talk a lot? No, here's what it means. Romans chapter 12, verse one, it says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is true and proper worship. In other words, all that you are, you give to Jesus, the eternal divine son of God, who sacrificed everything for you, going to the cross, shedding his blood so that your sins might be forgiven, so that when you stand before God and he's ready to judge you, he looks at you and he says, you are righteous because of the righteousness you received from Jesus Christ. 
And you rejoice in worship, knowing that you were declared righteous. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, we rejoice this morning. You are the eternal divine son of God. Not only did Jesus say he was, not only did he do the things that only God does, but he backed him up with miracles. And Lord, we know that even those who died torturous deaths, those disciples that were closest to him, they died torturous deaths because they believed he was the eternal divine son of God. And Lord, I believe too. I believe too. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, and you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what, I've had doubts. I've never really thought about this quite this way, and I've never, maybe you never had it presented this way, or for whatever reason, some, for some reason this morning it clicked, and you, and you went, you know what, I, I, do, I do believe that God walked among us. I do believe he was here in the flesh. I do believe he went to the cross and paid the price for my sin. And I do believe he rose from the grave and that I look forward to an eternity with him. And I want to put my faith and trust in him. If that's you this morning, everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just want to pray for you. So if that's you, would you just lift your hand so I can pray for you? I see those hands. I see those hands. Dear God, I thank you so much for the people in this room that went, yes, I believe, I trust Jesus. I follow him because he is the eternal divine son of God in human flesh who went to the cross, who paid for my sin and rose again. And if you 